0: If we have something that has a good end result and we still can share that and people can learn from it, then at the end of the day, that, that might be the difference that might save, that might save someone down the road. A lot of the lessons we, we learn from, from mistakes or from things not, not um, working out as, as planned I got distracted. It was total human factor. I was so infatuated with this feature of terrain that was neat, and I was just going to go stop there and, and look around. I, I missed some obvious signs. It- Hi, I'm Matt Ince, and you're listening to the Avalanche Hour podcast.
1: You are tuned in to another episode of the Avalanche Hour podcast, your source for great conversation within the snow and avalanche community. I'm your host, Kelly McNeil. The Avalanche Hour podcast is proudly presented by VEASAN Avalanche Control, safety through innovation. Additional support is provided by 10 Barrel Brewing and InterWest Insurance, The goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, knowledge, and news amongst people with a curious fascination of avalanches. It looks like spring has arrived here in northeastern Oregon. I hope you are all still enjoying the last of the snow and transitioning to whatever summer spring activities you enjoy. We have a great episode for you today with Matt Ince. Matt is the owner of Mountain Skills, a family-owned and operated business providing snowmobile skill-riding clinics, avalanche education, and other fun activities focused around playing in the mountains. Matt is the lead on both winter clinics and avalanche courses. Matt and I talk about his path into avalanche education, some thoughts on motorized use and forecasting centers, and what it's like to share a close call with the public. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode with Matt. I'm Matt, and thanks so much for taking the time to join us for the Avalanche Hour podcast today. Um, I'm really, really excited to listen to um, what you have to say and hear from your perspective and from your expertise. So thanks so much for taking the time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here.
1: So, Mel, if we can just start out, can you please give us an idea of like, who you are, where you came from, and how you've gotten to where you are today?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm born and raised in Southern Colorado, San Luis Valley, uh, kind of Alamosa, Monta Vista area. Most people probably have never heard about that as far as mountains where the the San Juan mountains and Wolf Creek pass. That's a little, little more on the radar, I guess, but born and raised a uh, farm kid, grew up around dirt bikes, snowmobiles, things like that. Just was stuff that our family had old, old stuff. Um, <laughs> uh like from the 70s and like old iron so um not not fancy new stuff but um anyways always around it and that's kind of where the enjoyment for motorsports started and always would spend any free time that our family had in the mountains and that's just always kind of been my my happy place and as i got older enjoyed going riding dirt bikes and snowmobiles as much as I could and um, yeah that, that's kind of a really short version uh, snowmobiling toys had just been kind of extra special it's just this experience where you get away from everything and when you're out riding it everything else kind of kind of goes away so um, total freedom and so many great things about it but that's just one of those things that I guess I was so obsessed with that I wanted to do every single day of my life. And in turn have built a life that pretty much revolves around snowmobiling have a, an incredible supportive wife, Jesse and two daughters, Ellie and Ashley, they're eight and 10 years old. They're little motorheads as, as well. Um, so getting to share those experiences with them is really awesome, but also growing into a business, it's definitely a family business. We have a retail store, as well as we, uh, we kind of operate our place as a lodge in the winter with our snowmobiling customers. So Jesse and the girls are are taking care of them. So family is is the priority, but otherwise our, our life kind of revolves around snowmobiling.
1: So Matt, how did you um, go from enjoying snowmobile to you know, to making it a living. Like, what did that kind of those steps look like, and that journey look like for you?
0: Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of work. Um, <laughs> I've always been, like I said, really passionate about it. I've also always been a competitive person, so kind of naturally always wanted to put my all into stuff and and try to be the best I could and uh, wanted wanted to do better or be better than than the others I was around and um with snowmobiling between just dedicating lots of time um again kind of before this was our, our life and our occupation i i was a farmer so all of our vacation time was over the winter months so i got to go snowmobiling quite a bit and and that was was awesome and gosh years and years ago got really fortunate a group of guys were coming to town to do some filming and through the local dealership, my name got thrown out to maybe kind of take them around. And from that, I got the opportunity to ride with them some more. And this was the, the Doctors group primarily out of Utah. Um, so that was the first introduction with them. And then started riding and working with them more and more. This was kind of before the social media day and age. So back then, um, to, to kind of have something, it was like a, a film part or maybe a some photos or an interview in a magazine or something. Um, That's kind of how you got exposure at, at that time. So I was, was really fortunate to get a, a chance to meet those guys and ride with them. And kind of one opportunity led to another and kind of making the, the most of all of that. And throughout all of it, I just, Love this sport and everything about it so much. And it's like all I could think about. And I just, I wanted to ride snowmobiles all the time. And, um, eventually, uh, we, we started a business. It's maybe a little ironic. I don't know, but, um, the event that led to our business being started was, um, if there was a single event, it was me being involved in, in an avalanche um, with, with those guys. Um, we're riding in Utah and I ended up, um, mostly buried. And, uh, it was just, it was, a kind of a crazy, unexpected deal. Um, kind of caught off guard where are thought we were being cautious and doing things correctly. And, um, Thankfully, we all had some training and gear and all that stuff, and keeping an eyes on. And um, Fatty and Smasher were the guys that got to me really quickly and got me dug out. And through that incident, I was really two two kind of eye-opening parts to that. One was that I really needed more training myself. Um, obviously, I didn't know it all, and I I, I needed to learn a lot more. Um, to be safer for myself, but as well as the people I was riding with. Um, it's kind of an embarrassing thing f- for me with the group I was with that that, that happened. Um, thankfully, it said it worked out the way that it did and learned so much from it. But the, the second part that came of it, it kind of was a light bulb as well, because um, I had been wanting to figure out a way to ride snowmobiles with people. It seemed like most of the time that I was riding, I ended up helping people and kind of teaching them I thought, man, that would be really neat, but I never really could put it all together. And then, boom, this happens, and it's, hey, you really need to focus and have an emphasis on awareness and, and safety, not just riding. And so the next year, we we started Mountain Skills. So that's kind of where the, the business part of this came into things.
1: Wow. So you started it um, after that, that incident with the boondockers, but then as as an avalanche um education or just as skills at first
0: or both um skills but with an emphasis on like real basic level um avalanche awareness and and training um the, the following winter as soon as i could i took my first level one course with the wolf creek avalanche school and then actually teamed up with them to kind of develop and and offer a motorized specific introductory level avalanche course. And so we would offer a few of those uh, a year and never would have thought or had any intentions or idea of becoming an, an educator. That just it kind of fit with what we wanted to do with our business and became this path that once I started down kind of intrigued me and I saw more of a need and more of an importance for it. So really was an addition that that's kind of when I started um, pursuing that.
1: Interesting. So how how has that been for you, you know, starting with um, that incident and then now progressing to pretty much the highest level of, of avalanche education that you can obtain um, through the through the process? So what does that look like for you and how has that process been for you?
0: Yeah, it's a, a really long road. Um, like I said, it never was really the intention. So it wasn't like trying to stack courses up and uh, just go get all of this. It, it started with um, some, some basic training years and years ago, long before this ever happened. But then that level one um, in, intrigued me and, like I said, kind of pushed me into wanting to help people get training. I know that I didn't have the knowledge or background to really be the educator. So Sandy from the Wolf Creek Avalanche school, she was that person. She had so much experience. So it was, it was good for us to partner. And I learned so much working alongside her. And like, so these were introductory level courses for the first, the first probably four or five years or so. And then I think it was about 2016, Aerie, um really saw the need for motorized education and educators on the motorized side and got some of us together for some curriculum development and um like they really pursued um developing a standardized motorized training and that's when we took that further and started teaching level ones and then with with that in order to to be an an educator as well as a provider had to take higher level and more training so over the years we've Taken lots and lots of training, which not only learning the information, but the people you get to meet that you get to learn with as far as the other students has been great, but also the different instructors teaching those professional level courses and the, the course leader trainings and the pro those courses. Um, it's people from all over the country. So you get to learn a lot of different things, kind of broaden the horizon other than just what I'm used to or what's in, in my backyard.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And some of those courses are taken with, with skiers and, and riders together. So do you have, you thought much about what, what those two groups can learn from each other, um, especially during those courses?
0: Yeah, it was, I, th- I think it was a course leader training a few years back, uh, was split, it was half motorized users and, and half human powered and our classroom time was done together and then our field time we went our own ways and did did our own things but it was it was pretty neat i think on each side to get to sit and listen to the other and see how we view things obviously i think the biggest difference is the way motorized users travel basically how quickly we can travel and how much terrain we can actually cover and be exposed to in a day i think would be our our obvious biggest differences. Other, other than that, um, we're kind of out there for the, the same reasons. And it was always really interesting listening to how, how the work through the day was done. And it seemed like on the human powered side, um, they dug a little more into details. And so it was, it was good for us to see that perspective and, and a lot for us to learn and take away from that. And I think the fact that on the motorized side we, we do cover so much more ground, sometimes we don't necessarily have the same time to put into analyzing things. So we're we're doing things a little bit uh, differently and um, just just finding sometimes finding a, a, an easier solution to some of the stuff. So I think, I think it was beneficial for both sides.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I I did a course recently as well that that had both, and it I completely agree. Yeah, there's always something to learn from from both groups in the way that we travel.
0: Yeah, seeing different perspectives is 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 eye opening, and it was it was neat. And I think at the end of the day, each side had a lot more appreciation for the other. Just naturally, I, I'm not a, I'm not a skier or a tour or, or you know any of, of that, so I don't really understand. How, how they're approaching things or doing it, but seeing, learning more about it was, was definitely neat for me.
1: Cool. Excellent. Thanks. Well, you yourself having that higher level of education and going through these experiences, what is your perspective on what you think needs to happen to increase avalanche education within the motorized community?
0: I think we're starting to do that. And I think it just... <laughs> the The simple answer is getting out there and getting information in front of people. Um, we've done a lot in the last couple of years with the Avalanche Alliance um, fundraising. That has, I mean, the, the the funds have gone to some incredible. Um, the results of it has been really great. But it, it's getting some basic information out there. Dan Adams and myself have traveled all over the country with with Dustin Pankey and we given presentations, just kind of on basic level, more, more awareness stuff and trying to help people get an idea of why it's important to get training. We're not going out and trying to teach people in a, in a snowmobile dealership or at a snow show. Um, rather we're, we're trying to help them understand why they should go and get true on snow training. Cause that, that's, that's really our end goal with it. And, and I think that has been effective. It's a little bit of a shift in our culture. Finally, we've kind of been like beating our heads against the wall for years of how do we do this? How do we reach out? How do we get support with some of this stuff? And it, it's it been difficult. We've had lots of conversations that we get fired up and frustrated and all these things and ideas come out of it. And so, so seeing that, that, that's been a huge step, uh, still feel like more involvement on the side of the manufacturers and and dealerships, where they have a, a window of opportunity to, whether it's a small conversation or a piece of literature or a poster, I don't know something. But a, w- there's lots of ways still for a good one-on-one connection um, for some of that information to get to people that otherwise maybe they're maybe they're not not getting it, but trying to kind of raise what our standards are. We still have room for, for growth with that.
1: Yeah. I've definitely seen a shift over the years as well. It seems like it's slow, but it's happening and more and more people are seeking it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: Um, So Matt are from your experience, do you feel like avalanche centers are meeting the needs of the motorized community and do you feel the messaging is geared toward all user groups, and if not, what could they do to be more inclusive and bridge that gap?
0: That is a great uh, question. Um, that kind of break down the knowing of a, a fair amount of forecasters that have a, a real appreciation for what they do and their they're trying to get information to so many people on such a big area kind of unlimited resources. So it's a little bit of a, a generalization. Um, so o- overall I think it's, it's improved, uh, a lot not having to necessarily translate stuff so much. Um, I still we, we kind of laugh sometimes when we read through the forecast though, it's, um, it, it's somewhat worded for, uh, a ski touring group or, or something like that. And even some of the like terrain descriptions and some of the areas um, th- that are just in our summary of our, our bulletin, we kind of kind of talk with our group and like, well, we don't really have to worry about that. Cause we're, we're not going to be, you know, in, in that place, or we're not going to be on steep, shallow, rocky outcroppings, you know, near, near ridge tops. That's not where we want to be snowmobiling today. Um, just, you know, just kind of things like, like that it would be neat if, and, and I think there's been more of a shift with motorized use with, um, forecasting centers know that we've, we've had the opportunity to work with some of the forecasters here in Colorado and come to find out they, they love snowmobiling and, and snowmobiles. So it was cool to get to, to work with them to help them be a little more proficient, um, with those. Um, it's, I don't know. I don't know what, what else I guess could be done because I don't think that we necessarily need like different forecasts, but, um, honestly, probably something, and we, we try to do this, but maybe we need to try to do more. We need to reach more people, but if we can get more observations from us as motorized users that give information to the centers, um, in our words and what we're seeing, um, not just on the day that danger's is crazy and people are seeing avalanches or getting involved or seeing the obvious signs, but, um, a, a little more in, in general, I think that would translate to uh, a little more, um, I guess on, on our level or in our. I mean, we're really fortunate where we are because the forecast is kind of based on like Wolf Creek Pass, which is really relevant for the riding that we're doing. So it's really accurate for us um, just because that's where some of the weather stations are. So we're fortunate in that aspect, but I know a lot of other people snowmobiling in different places where there might not even be an avalanche center. Um, so they have to kind of take information from whatever the nearest one is and, and put their own spin on it. And until they start getting a little more background in education, it, it, it it's a lot more difficult for them to use that information um, accurately, I would say.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel that, the motor, um, that motorized users read the forecast? And if not, why or why not? And how can we change that?
0: I believe a lot more are, but... Definitely not everybody. Uh, I mean, it still scares the heck out of me when I'm out riding and I see a family or a group go by that doesn't have any any gear with them or anything. Like raises my blood pressure. <laughs> and I mean, they're that group probably they may not even know that a forecast exists. Um, we have a, a beacon checkpoint out of one of the I'll have a couple of different trailheads around here and I, I i think that's good for hopefully getting some awareness out there but uh yes yeah, I, f- I don't know I'm, I'm not sure how we how we get more of that out there's all these pushes in different directions there's 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 a lot of neat stuff going on and, and information being put out there uh, i still feel like on, on the dealership and manufacturer level would be would be cool to see, see a little more go out Um, just information wise. I think I've never, I don't know that I've ever gone into a dealership and seen something that, you know, Hey, have you checked the forecast today? Or here's where to get the forecast or something Like maybe they need a big banner. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's up to us to, to help bring, bring that stuff about. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I like it. <laughs> Some good ideas. <laughs> um, so Matt, how has your increased level of avalanche education changed the way that you guide and how you talk or what you discuss with your clients?
0: We try to have, we we always have our pre-trip meeting where we discuss kind of what we're anticipating or what the forecast is, is giving us. But try to have those conversations on the mountain whether whether it's a group of less experienced riders and we can look at certain places as an example or whether it's that experienced group that is spending more time with a higher risk tolerance and you know really in more avalanche terrain but trying to to really be aware and, and listen when the mountain, talks to us and, and trying to use other people's experiences and our own experiences to to help people be aware, understand if, you know, whether, even if it's something like a, a gut feeling that, um, you know, nah, maybe we shouldn't be here. I don't want to, you know, something like that, but listening to ourselves as well, but also having that conversation with the group and really good communication pretty standard, everybody carrying radios and, and trying to really just hitting on that stuff. So, so it's part of our conversation through our, our ride and, and anything that we see that, um, it is sign for us, make sure that we're sharing that, uh, with, with, with our groups, we do a lot of slope testing with our snowmobiles. So trying to help people look for and understand like, like consequences and, and trying stuff in low consequence areas to, to see if, if anything, if we can cause uh, a problem and, and then taking that, you know, what, what we need to, whether we're okay to continue kind of progressing and and pushing into stuff or if, okay, this is where the line is drawn and let's, we've got to back it down or this is what we need to avoid. Um, Just trying to make that a normal part of our thinking process every zone that we enter, every slope that we're around, drainages that we go up, things like that.
1: How has that changed your your business over time?
0: More and more of it all the time, I would, I would say, as as things go on. Um in, initially just kind of kept that stuff to myself. And I, I would say I look for it a lot more now. As well, trying to be a lot more aware um, myself, also. But a lot of a lot of our planning goes into kind of specifics based on the the customers that we have, and that that actually has really, really over the last year to year and a half has changed our, our avalanche courses quite a bit. Trying to be much more specific with people on kind of an individual level as much as possible for having a group, but with the terrain that we are teaching them and that we're riding in our avalanche courses. Um, and, and part of that is having instructors with me that I, I really trust them and knowing that like, I, I don't have to be with everybody all all the time or because we used to try and do everything all together as one group and, and anybody that's snow knows that you know, 12 people snowmobiling together is, it's a mess. (laughs) You don't get a lot done and we want to, we want to ride. So we really worked on splitting into small groups and kind of split into a less experienced and more experienced group with our avalanche courses. And I I feel like that direction has been really beneficial for our students, especially um, because it's super relevant for the type of terrain that they want to be riding and and can help them um, just be a lot more accurate with with learning where they're going to be.
1: Excellent, sounds fun <laughs> and we educational.
0: Have a, have, a, have a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> I never I have thought heard.
0: Like, we, we like to have fun.
1: Well, <laughs> no, that's that sounds perfect. <laughs> Um, so Matt, just shifting gears just a little bit, um, last year you shared on Instagram, uh, near miss that you had, and I was wondering if you could please talk about what that was like for you and then kind of what was your motivation for sharing it and, and how was your response with that from people?
0: Yeah, happy to, happy to talk about that. And if you have any questions along the way, just jump in, let, let me know. Um we had a day off and so of course we go snow billing. Um just James and I. James is is my right hand man. Um and so we went. Snow wasn't great, so we, we thought it would be a great day to go kind of explore an area we don't ride very often and worked our way down into it and we were kind of playing around in the trees and there's some um, some neat rock features to this area that um, kind of rare around here anyways. So the kind of looked up and spotted some lines and and we were both kind of working the same hillside, kind of in, in different areas, giving each other some space, but trying to, to know where the other person was and uh, saw a line up towards this rock face and thought, man, I'm going to go up there. I'll park up there look around kind of, it was kind of a scouting mission for a future reference. Like the dream is to hit this zone on like that, perfect snow day. Cause there's lots of really cool features. Um, we, normally we just look at this from a ridge top, and it's like the sacred land that's like in a spotlight and you're like, Oh man, just, I want to go ride there so bad. And this was kind of an overcast, windy, kind of snowing, kind of a blah day. Um, but we were in there and so I, I headed up to go up to park by this rock and I made a line and right as I went to cut through the trees to park by the rock, I saw the crack, happened from my ski. So I pulled a hand off the handlebar to reach for my airbag. And I looked to see, was this the crown or did this, you know, did it propagate and was it the snow coming from further up the mountain. And as I did that, the snow ripped the bill out of my hand and threw me in the snow. Um, so I'm head first down the mountain face first in the snow, my arms kind of trapped underneath me, almost like I'm going down a water slide. Or something, and this is just the position that I'm in. Thankfully, the the avalanche path that I was wearing, I was able to grab a hold of that handle from where my hand was, and uh, I guess I feel like it did what it was supposed to because within a, like a second or so, uh, I saw daylight. It was the only glimpse of light that I actually got, and then I was back in in the snow, and we shared it. Like you said. Uh, I happened to be wearing, wearing a GoPro, so the whole thing, the thing was sitting right here in my helmet, so the, the view is 100% exactly what I saw. Um, but when I saw that light, all I saw were trees below me and I'm moving fast and, and just thinking, this is, this is really gonna hurt. I thought I was gonna run into a tree. A Couple seconds later, came to a stop. Thankfully, I didn't, was, was partially buried, um, was able to pick my head up and could see around I reached for my radio, which is about right here on, on my pack, and radioed for James to see if he was okay. And I didn't initially hear him. So I, I dug it out some more radioed again. And thankfully he, he radioed that he was, he was good. That was the biggest relief ever um, knowing that he was, was okay. Um, so then I I ended up digging the rest of myself out. And about the time I stood up, he was there shovel and probe in hand and and beacon out like ready to go and what for whatever reason it worked out this way but he had a GoPro going as well and he was parked up at the rocks just a little ways over so he has a full view of the whole thing happening as well and uh he as it's still going after he saw where I went he started his snowmobile and headed down the hill kind of paralleling where it was he, he was outside of where um, the, the path was um, but he was headed down and didn't see it or didn't realize it or whatever but like went off this log pile and like flipped his snowmobile his video shows it like rolling over the top of his head and landing upside down in the trees um, that's it like I said it, it it's Pretty neat that this footage was was captured because he didn't even look at the snowmobile. he went straight into rescue mode, yelling for me and and getting his stuff out um, so i I instantly um, oh I mean got home and had to tell my wife and kids about it that's not a fun thing to do thank thankfully um, again was um you know, w- w- was able to get myself out. And the, the the end of it was what it was, but had to tell them about it, but it still scared the heck out of them. Um, my, my daughters told me I couldn't go snowmobiling the next day. I had to stay home, but I, I had to go to work the next day. So for, for about a week, it was, it was pretty tough leaving the house with them, like holding on to me, I'm like, be careful, be careful. and getting home to the biggest hugs in the entire world. That, that part's pretty special. Um, But uh, I felt like after I talked to them that uh, it it was worth, worth sharing, especially being that um, we had this, this video and, and hopefully again, it was caught off guard and and it's, it's a hundred percent my own fault. I mean, we, we talked about it in our courses now, but it was, you know, I got distracted. It was total human factor. I was so infatuated with this feature of terrain that was neat. And I was just going to go stop there and and look around. I I missed some obvious signs that watching back through the video, this narrow little path I went up, well, it was this clear cut little path because the snow slides from way up higher in the rocks and has cleared it out. So I, I, I missed it. And I think that's part of why I wanted to share it is, um, it, it can happen. It doesn't matter who you are or, you know, the, the snow or the mountain doesn't, doesn't care about that or how much training you have stuff can still happen. Um, so trying to help, I guess, with an understanding of that, but also um, I feel like having the video shows some, some good points of the stuff that I've learned over the years and what we teach and what we talk about now as far as how, how we respond and using the equipment that we have and, you know, going into that, that rescue mode. And if, if we practice enough, we develop habits and then we don't have to think about it, we just do it. And also an example, um, James, James's snowmobile being upside down. If, if he was the guy that carries a shovel in a tunnel bag, who knows when he would have gotten to it. So it was a good example for why we carry our gear on us as well Plus James's big takeaway was to slow down. Um, he kind of got in a hurry and got in a rush and forced himself into that position. And, and I says, try to try to remain calm, uh, whatever that means in that situation. That's not, it's pretty crazy, but um, really being a little more aware of our, our surroundings. Cause it, I mean, he could have gotten hurt right there. And if I would have needed to be rescued a hurt guy, no, can't, can't do the rescue. So a lot of stuff that we felt was worth, worth sharing and like, don't have anything to hide, like a part of this industry, because I love it with like with my whole heart and all of the people in our industry as well. And it, you know, if we can do things that that open eyes or, or bring awareness, even, you know, unfortunately sometimes we learn by mistakes and so I wanted to kind of bring that forward. And, and thankfully, we i mean had a lot of good discussion with a lot of people um, based on that. I, I think I told you yesterday, I'm not happy that it happened, but I'm glad that we get to share it and that that we can all learn from it.
1: Yeah. What was your response from, from the public once you shared it?
0: Um, the, the biggest thing, a lot of people were surprised. Um, it, I never would have thought that would have happened. I, I would have been riding there, you know, that, that type, that was, that was the biggest response. Oh, there was overwhelmed with, um, like caring and like heartfelt, like, you know, glad you're like that kind of stuff. But which was, which is, which is nice. I mean, you're not looking for that, but it's, it's, it's nice to know that, that people care. Uh, we always talk about, um, in the snowmobiling, like we're, we're a family, you know, it's, it's one big family and, you know, so, so that was cool with that, but yeah, just a a lot of people surprised that it happened where it did.
1: What would you, what kind of advice would you give to somebody that maybe um, had a similar experience and, and the benefits of sharing your story?
0: Well, I mean, we talk about this with our, our skills people all the time. We don't learn necessarily by always doing everything perfect. A lot of the lessons we, we learn from, from mistakes or from things not, not um, working out as, as planned. Um, but when, when something so serious happens, sharing that can really, really catch people you know, here, um, I mean, that's well. how I started my business was kind of because of an accident and spent a lot of time with Dan Adams that uh, we kind of lead pretty similar lives. And he started his business because his best friend was in an, in an avalanche. So, I mean, and unfortunately... I mean, for, for so many of us and, and other others, it takes, uh, you know, a, a close call or even worse before we decide to, to take it serious and, and get, get some of that knowledge or further our, our education. So if we have something that has a good end result and we still can share that and people can learn from it, then and at the end of the day, that, that might be the difference that might, save, that might save someone down the road. So we try to always be mindful when we, even when we go over accident, like reports or whatever it is, um, to try to lear- learn from it. We're not there to judge. We shouldn't approach that to, to judge people or point fingers at them or tell them, you know, what they did wrong it's important for us to understand what went wrong but um in, in a respectful manner and that hopefully we can can learn f- from that
1: yeah absolutely and i think we can um, learn from those experiences yeah. with our own groups and with and from others as well
0: yeah definitely
1: well matt thank you so much um I really, really appreciate it. Is there anything else that you would like to add or anything special that you would like our listeners to know about you or about anything?
0: Uh, just, I just, I really appreciate you having me. Like I said, I, I love what I get to do, um, you know, snowmobiling and, and teaching people and spending time, even the like traveling presentations and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> Snowmobiling is is really crazy. The equipment that we have is blows my mind every day that I ride these things. Like I cannot believe how good it it is. Um, but with that, we need to increase our our awareness and our our education. So it just would really encourage people to continue that that education. Um, there's, there's lots of different ways. I mean, of course it'd be cool if everybody came and took an avalanche course with me. what sure that is, but um, no, there, there's lots of great educators, which is really encouraging um, where we're at right now and the direction things are going, but it's, it's worth that in, uh, in your own time and your own family and your future to, to, to do that. And there's, there's new information coming out all the time, but there's, there's, there's a lot of ways that we can, can be involved um, and not only get information, but, but help. We said the forecasting centers and, you know, the, the avalanche lines, plus you get a chance to win some cool stuff. I just saw a note come across the other day from the, the friends of the Colorado avalanche information center. They're doing some fundraising for the spring right now. And there's like $10,000 worth of prizes being given away. So everybody likes to to get stuff too. So Um, as, as snow and mountain communities, no matter what kind of user, um, we, we can all kind of support each other and and all of that stuff in, in the big scheme, it's all to help keep us safe and, and keep us out doing, doing what we love to do. Yeah.
1: I mean, nobody could say it better than that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Matt. That was absolutely wonderful. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today.
0: Well, thank you. And I hope that we get to meet up on the mountain here one of these days.
1: Yeah, I hope so. Definitely. We'll make it happen. (laughs) Good. Good. Well, I sure hope you enjoyed that interview. And thanks so much to Matt for sharing with us his experience and expertise Thanks again to VEASAN Avalanche Control, our good friends at Tin Barrel Brewing, as well as InterWest Insurance. Today's fun theme music was by Age Diamante. And thanks again to Mike T for the amazing artwork. Check him out at MikeT.com. To ensure you don't miss another episode, please follow us on Instagram at the Avalanche Hour Podcast. We can also be found on Facebook if you enjoyed this episode, please take the time to subscribe, rate and review the show on whatever podcast platform you listen. And tell a friend. Send any feedback to the Avalanche Hour podcast at gmail.com. Make sure to tune in for our next episode. And until then, stay tuned, stay safe, and keep having fun out there.